Welcome to episode 41 of Casting the Net with Father Dave and Rick. Today's episode is a continuation of Lent because, well, of course, we are in Lent. And there's a great quote in this episode that Rick gives from Thomas Aquinas, and it is the following. The things we love tell us what we are. Just think about that for a second. The things we love tell us what we are. And the idea behind this is that Lent gives us the opportunity to evaluate that idea. They talk a lot about that. They talk about how Lent is about fostering a sense of detachment, the dangers of letting technology dominate our lives, and of course, a whole host of other things. So enjoy. Hi, I'm Father Dave Nuss, together with Father of Four, Rick Lingva. Welcome to Casting the Net. We are in search for catching the faith. Hey, friends, Father Dave here with my co-host, Rick. We are Casting the Net. It is our podcast in which we are just seeking to delve more deeply into the great Christian mystery of faith, hope, and love. Mm. It's a gift that God gives to us, Rick, to be able to know him and love him and serve him. And we're, we're trying to do that in a more complete and wholehearted way. Mm-hmm. Mm. Such an astounding thing. You know, you think about um, God as creator, you know, the, the universe he creates. I mean, how, how big is the universe? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's, what we can see of it is something like 100 to 200 billion galaxies in it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just, it's astoundingly massive. Yes. And yet, you know, despite it all, or, or even perhaps because of it all, because of the love that, um, that is the, the source of it all, he wants nothing more than interpersonal connection with us, interpersonal yeah. exchange with us, relationship, friendship with us. Yeah. Absolutely astonishing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you need, if you need some fodder, if you need some food or fuel for, uh, for prayer, you know, for, for meditation, for contemplation, I mean, that's it right there. For sure. You know, I mean, it's, it, it beggars belief. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. In, in this season, we're, we're doing an extended series on Lent, on this liturgical uh, time period of, of preparation, uh, preparation for the holiest of days uh, that we might encounter the living God uh, more profoundly and personally in those days and beyond. And how's, let me ask you, how you doing? How's Lent? <laughs> ups, ups and downs, probably like everyone else. But, you know, I've, I've received some really important graces during this Lenten season. And um, not, not coincidentally, it, it, it has to do with a, a good amount of what we discussed in the previous two episodes. Um, you recall that we were, we were sort of using Charles Taylor, the, uh, the philosopher who teaches at McGill University in Canada, to explore... Um, one of the real spirits of this season, which is detachment. I mean, Lent yeah. is a season of detachment. It's a season that's meant to to help us detach. Um, and we detach. We're, we're not, you know, we're, we're not Buddhists. We're not uh, practitioners of various Eastern religions where we're just detaching for the sake of detaching. We're, we're detaching so that we can love better, mm. right? I mean, detachment mm. is um, detachment is ultimately aimed from a Catholic perspective at helping us to. Um, to order our priorities, mm. to order our loves better. You know, mm. um, Thomas Aquinas, it's one of my favorite, <clears throat> favorite quotes from him, uh, famously said, you know, the, the things we love tell us what we are, mm. you know, um, mm. and Lent is a great opportunity for us to assess that. Like, what, what, 
what, what are we really what are we, what are we really focusing our loves on? What are we really focusing our attachments mm. on? Um, and if those attachments aren't what they should be, Lent is an opportunity for us to to reorient to mm. to, to gear in a better, holier direction. Mm. You know, another metaphor comes to my mind is with regards to uh, rockets uh, that enter into space. There's an escape velocity, right? I, at least oh. I recall that phrase. That sounds right. So if if the uh, craft is unable to obtain the escape velocity, the gravitational pull mm. will prevent it from being successful in the mission that is underway. Yeah. And detachment is we, we want to escape from the, that gravitational pull mm. of those thoughts or those words and those actions that, that compromise the creative genius of God's holy creation. Yeah, that's well put. Um, what's what what gravitational forces are keeping us from living the great commandment that Christ puts forth? Yeah, you know, that's right. Loving God with your heart, mind, and soul, and loving your neighbor as yourself. There you go. Um, and we said it in, in previous episodes. You know, Lent isn't about giving up sins. We should be trying to do that anyway. Right. But it's about um, fostering a sense of detachment. Right. Which. Um, you know, be more important than than uh, weeding out sins in our lives, but it's 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 related. Yes, it's, it's as important. Yeah, detachment, that escape velocity. We, we know, we all know, if we stop and sit and ponder with open mind, open heart, certain aspects of our life where there's something that's got a little too much of a hold over us when yeah. we're preoccupied with it. I can't let it go. Sometimes that may seem to be. Somewhat benign mm -hmm. and innocuous, mm -hmm. you know, and then I look at the phone or I look <laughs> at a screen right. or where where is my the sports or some other extracurricular activity or interest or hobby that is just, you know, what is starting to eclipse uh, essential responsibilities that hasn't been uh, wildly disruptive in my life, but it's it's tending towards that disruption, mm -hmm. less lest it be held in check, lest I detach from that, right? Unless I escape from a gravitational pull, um, it will continue to actually hold me captive. Mm. And there's an impulse that's fired and I just can't but um, give in to that impulse. Mm -hmm. if, for others, it's, it could be an emotional, right? An emotional reaction where that, that anger, I know that I need to, modulate that more significantly that i just have overreactions to situations that are disproportionate in its expression mm -hmm. and i need to do a better job with god's grace to live more peacefully and less explosively yeah so it's not just with things right yeah. certain attitudes or or i guess in the in the example of anger or jealousy you know mm -hmm. i i am all of a sudden i can't help but to notice what other people have or what other people are doing. Some of yeah. the, some of the uh, um, um, opportunities that others have to do certain things or sit certain places or mm -hmm. hear certain acts mm -hmm. that I don't have. And it's not fair. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, you are uh, headed in a direction that for me is, is one of the um, scarier aspects of living in the world that we live in. Um, we were discussing Charles Taylor in some of the previous two episodes and, and, and his what, what, what he has to say that is helpful for us as we understand, um, you know, the modern world, what, what, what makes attachment so easy right now. 
you know, mm-hmm. primarily, you know, just our, our desire to express our individuality and the, the affluence of society. I mean, you know, we, we live in one of the most prosperous mm-hmm. societies in human history. Mm-hmm. You know, middle class is richer than probably 95% of yeah. human beings throughout yeah. history. But, and that, that comes together and um, it, it very easily fosters a sense of, a, of, of attachment in us. Yeah. And I think one of the more dangerous things about that is when we begin to, to view the world through an acquisitive lens, like mm-hmm. I, I need to collect stuff and I need to get things. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to view other aspects of our lives through that lens as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we perhaps begin to view people as things to be collected for our gratification, mm-hmm. um, for our enjoyment. I mean, isn't that really at least one of the principles that's at the heart of the way so many moderns understand sex? You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to use this person for my own enjoyment, and as long as they're consenting, it's it's no harm, no foul. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's not not the only idea behind it all, but it certainly it's a big. You know? Sure it is. Um, so there, there's a real threat. I think technology threatens us in this way too. You know, when you begin to um, let technology dominate your life, um, there's a real tendency to view all things as just there for, you know, our manipulation. They're, they're tools for us to be used. Um, we begin begin to view things in terms of efficiency. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot in life that just can't be viewed that way. And when we do, it's problematic, mm-hmm. uh, particularly relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's one really good concrete example in my own life. And, you know, it, admittedly, I'm, I'm a stay-at-home dad, so my my world is is probably pretty small compared to many uh, people out there in the listening world, the listening audience. Um, the, the the elementary school parking lot. Oh. <laughs> uh, you you talk about. Let me assure cut, you, it's not through. It's not only elementary schools. But this uh, is the a place Catholic you wouldn't school expect. Lot. The well, Catholic school lot oh, is that's uh, shameful. But, in some aspects um just i mean these are like lead pipe wielding <laughs> pirates who are who are looking for any dirty ch- i mean i'm being cheeky but you know they, they will they will cut they will resort to tricks to try to jockey into the right position they'll park in handicapped parking spots and and it's you know when you see it every day it's very easy to you know i'm speaking for myself here you, know, you kind of clench up you know, mm. you 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 feel the tension in your jaw. You, you know, the uncharitable thought creeps into your head because these people are annoyances. Mm. Now, mind you, I don't see them. I don't know them. They don't have a face for me. Mm-hmm. But they become this thing. That's almost I, I objectify them. Mm-hmm. They're this thing because I have so many other things in my life that I'm acquiring and manipulating. But they they also become this thing that is keeping me. That are they, they are keeping me from, you know, achieving what I want to achieve efficiently. And so then the uncharitable thoughts creep into my head and huh. then, then the, you know, the snide remarks come out of my mouth and all of it might sound insignificant or small, mm-hmm. but what does Christ tell us about uncharitable thoughts? Mm-hmm. They turn into quite easily uncharitable acts. Yeah. So it's not about like something being materially small. I mean, it is materially small. Sure. Um, but formally, like in the bigger picture, it's, it's huge because it's, it's, it's deforming yeah. uh, my character. Yeah. Yeah. So let's stay with that a second. What, what is the response of the mature Christian of the genuine follower of Christ? Yeah. What, what, what does that look like in that, in that instance uh, of 
really there's there's a level of uh, violence in terms of the uh, the uh, imposition of uh, of others um, mm-hmm. pressing uh, upon you yeah. to be able to advance their goal of getting picking up the kid more quickly. Yeah. <clears throat> I tell you, I'm going to take this a direction that maybe you didn't expect me to take. <laughs> take the bus. Yeah. Send them home on the bus. Jesus, take the wall. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. No. Um, have you read Till We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis? Oh, my goodness. It's been many years ago. That's the um, that's the allegory of the old Greek. Yeah. What was it? The Greek do- uh, drama was Psyche, Psyche. and... Um, uh, Cupid, Cupid, but he, he changes some of the names. Lewis yeah. changes some of the names. So right. this is gonna be kind of a roundabout, long-winded answer. But All I, right, let I, me. I think it's gonna be good. You're right. I, I, I don't know. I didn't see this coming. So I don't I'm know if it's gonna, where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's gonna be good. So tell me at the end if it's any good. But um, anyway, yeah. So till we have faces, um, it's not one of Lewis's better-known works. Mm-hmm. It uh, it's a retelling of he call, I mean, it's, it is, and he calls it a retelling of a pagan myth. Uh, Lewis loved pagan myths. Mm-hmm. He, he thought. You know, just as so many early Christian thinkers thought that pagan philosophy kind of paved the way or set the stage for the coming of uh, of Christianity, he thought pagan myths did too. Lewis yes, did. yes, um, yes. There, there were so many important insights, profound insights in them, and he, he didn't want to just toss them away. He wanted to mine what was of value in them and use them. Um, but so this is the this till we have faces is the retelling of um, the the myth of Cupid and, and Psyche. Um, except the, the two main characters in the story are princesses named Psyche, who is yes. beautiful inside yes. and out. Yes. And Orwal, yeah. who is ugly inside and out. And I'm going to spare you a lot of the plot details, but Orwal, she, she does love her sister dearly, Psyche, but she loves her sister in a jealous, imperfect, you know, profoundly imperfect way. Mm-hmm. And Orwal ends up destroying that which Psyche loves most, which is this relationship with a god that she entered into. She she destroys it because if you know if if Orwal can't have Psyche, then nobody will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know she she doesn't understand why Psyche would give herself to this god who who may or may not even exist, and who who if if he does, at worst he's responsible for a great amount of evil. You know, sounds like an atheist, a modern atheist mm-hmm. complaint. The gods are just Mm-hmm. Figments of our imagination. If they do exist, you have to chalk evil up to them as much as mm-hmm. good. So they're probably evil too. Um, and eventually, you know, throughout the course of the story, Orwal comes to see uh, just the damage, the depth of the damage she's done, mm. and she's profoundly, deeply wounded by it all. And she comes to, she says this in a in a complaint that she'd written to the gods. She comes to see that. You know, how, how can I see the gods? How can I see you until I have a face, hmm. you know, until we have faces? And the idea there is that um, in order to see the gods, they have to lend, or to see God in, in our case, yes. they have to lend something of themselves to us to help us see. Hmm. They have to give us faces. They have hmm. to give us their face. And that's 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 just a a, a symbolism for grace. Hmm. You know, that's, that's what God is doing for us. He's hmm. helping us to see. Um you know, not only him, but also how he sees the world, you know, and that's, that's so tremendously important. The gift of faith, which is a grace, is God helping us to see him and then everything else as he sees it. Hmm. So seeing other people, um, seeing the created world the way he sees and loves it, 
And so, you know, the, 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 the mature Christian response to the scenario I laid out in the parking lot is to look for those opportunities to recollect that, you know, that person in the vehicle who is infuriating me through their pettiness and through their smallness is deeply, deeply loved by God, created mm. by God, redeemed by God. Mm. Um, Romano Guardini, who's uh, German, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he was kind of a jack of all trades, wasn't yeah. he? I mean, he's, yeah, he's yeah. a pastor. Uh, Extraordinary. I, I don't 20th know. Century. I, yeah, 20th century German. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he would consider himself a theologian, but uh, a lot of he people was. do. Yeah, he was. <laughs> uh, philosopher. Yeah, works um, worthy of reading today. That's right. You know, he... I remember reading in something he wrote once, he said, you know, um, the person who prays, it's just God in their soul. There's nothing else on the world, mm. nothing else in the world. And you might ask, well, you know, Lord, what are the others? To which God would reply, it holds true with the others. God and he, nothing else. God and she, nothing else. Mm. Like because of God's omnipresence, which is, you know, one of his characteristics mm. or one of his attributes. He, he doesn't see crowds. Mm -hmm. Like he doesn't see mm -hmm. masses. Mm -hmm. He sees you. Yeah, he sees there's, Dave. There's, he there's sees Dave. Rick. There's Rick. Yeah. You know, there's Sue. Yeah. Uh, that's the sort of interpersonal exchange he has with each of us. And he's yeah. having that with the person in the vehicle who's infuriating me. Yeah. And he, he, he wouldn't be doing that if he wasn't deeply, deeply in love with that person. And the great commandment that Christ puts forth says, I also have to love in that way. Mm. In my own creaturely limited, finite sort of way, but but there it is nonetheless. And grace is what's going to help me achieve that. Mm. You know, so avail yourselves of grace. Take those moments of recollection. Um, particularly, you know, silence is important. Um, it's not always easy to I, you know, when you're in the heat of the moment, you're not going to find silence. But you know, take a breath and and recall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how how would you respond? I mean, what, what do you think? What what, what what else could a mature Christian do? In yeah, that well, situation? spot on, spot on response in terms of in the moment, the opportunity to encounter Christ is always present. And when there's an elevation of emotion, let's say negative emotion in that instance of the after school parking lot, um, I have the opportunity to be aware, to be self-reflective exactly as what you're saying. I'm going to add to that that perhaps in a in a Christic way, so Christ is wanting me to be less about myself, not to judge and condemn another for their offensive behavior. I mean, we're not saying that neither one of us is saying that this right. behavior That's is right. somehow okay and it's yeah. my overreaction to something. Right. No, it's it might wrong. actually be inferior. It, it might be inferior. It's <laughs> offensive and it. it potentially hurtful and maybe even dangerous given the, given yeah. the setting with children coming out and yeah. everything else to be picked up. But maybe that's the opportunity that God wants me to be less about advancing my own interests of the day with him. And mm. suddenly I, I pray for someone, though I may not know who that someone is, mm. right? I see the vehicle. Yeah. Maybe I hear the, uh, I hear something <laughs> and just Lord have mercy. They know not what they do. Yeah. Uh, be with them. Let peace be in their house. Let that agitation or that anger or that or that violent tone not be inflicted on a child yeah. or a spouse or a significant other or whoever awaits them. That if I could be more um, outpouring, which of course is what crucified love is, right? and less self-absorbed, how dare you do that to me? 
Mm. I suddenly have opportunity to uh, allow grace to transform me in that space yeah. and those with whom I'm interacting. Yeah. Lewis would say that you, you've allowed God to give you a face. Yes. And you've, and you've in turn extended yes. a face to the faceless person in the vehicle. Yeah. Which is not a negotiated face where right. it's, it's only given if something is received in return. Yeah. No, it's just poured yeah. out. I, I think the first time I read Till We Had Faces, I, I, I missed, I mean, it's, it's a tough, it's not an easy report. Yeah, I don't remember um, it being an easy report. But second or third time through it, when I was a little bit older, I began to reflect a little bit more on what, what, what a face represents. You know, like a face, it's technically a part of our bodies. But when we look at a face, we know we're not looking at something like the shoulder mm. or the elbow or mm. the knee. Like mm. I'm, I'm looking at you. Mm. You're looking at me. I'm looking at you, whatever. Like there's there's a dignity that comes with hmm. this part of the body. It's not simply a film that keeps our brain in our heads. You know, there, there's something dignified about it. Huh. And like, I think when I when I tend to or, or I'm inclined to or, or tempted to objectify the person who I don't see or who I don't know. Yes. Um, to extend a face to them. Through that moment of recollection and thinking about it Christically. Yes. Um, is to acknowledge their dignity as a creature yes. made in the image of God and redeemed by Christ. You know, a, a final thought here, Rick, and then we'll, we'll land this. As you just mentioned that, this deeply intuitive sense that I have, never really thought about it quite like this. When there is an, an escalation of emotion, right, some level of conflict, disagreement, whether it's for me with an individual or with with a group, Hmm. there is an intuitive desire for the conversation to become increasingly personal. I don't Hmm. want to do that with a text. I don't want to do that with an email. Hmm. Um, Over the phone, I know that's real old school and unfamiliar to some who are listening, what that means. (laughs) But but ideally, even when it's uncomfortable, there's this intuitive sense that I have to want to look the other or others in the face, have them look at me in the face. And I'm not sure I ever, I ever quite understood that to this very moment mm-hmm. of a personalization. Yeah. Right. The enemy isn't the person or the people. The enemy is, is the opponent himself. That's right. Right. Yeah. And though I may not approve or appreciate what someone has said or done, there still is a dignity to uphold in the other is other. Mm-hmm that I don't get to suspend because of a inconvenience or an annoyance that I'm experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. And think of, um, think of the, the venues for so much conflict today, like the com boxes yeah. at, the, at the bottoms of articles, news yeah. articles, or awful Facebook stuff. Yeah. I mean, the anonymity that we're granted oh. online that we would never Dare and things we you yeah. say things online that we'd never dream of societal saying. Societal degradation hangs out there. Face. For sure. Yeah. He's Rick. I'm Father Dave. We're so grateful that you spent this time with us. Thank you. Yeah, we're 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 amazed. We're amazed at uh at God using to reveal himself to us in the way that he does, and we're just eager to share that with you. We're casting the net. Friends, he's Rick. And I'm Father Dave, a dad and a priest, 
together trying to become better fathers by catching Christian faith. Thanks for joining us for our conversation, and we hope that you'll connect with us next week for Casting the Net.